When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and I am recording this week's episode on Thursday, October 12, 2023. First of all, apologies for this week's episode getting posted late. That's on me, folks. Uh, I had some family stuff on Wednesday that prevented Mr. Adams and myself from recording mud at our usual time. As for why Aaron is absent from this week's show, uh, Mr. Adams' dance card was very full. He only had one window of time this week when he was available to record mud, and we missed that. So here we are. Solo show this week. Hopefully Mr. Adams will be back next week. But the upside is I'm recording this week's mud right after having watched episode two of season two of Loki, which means you're going to get my take on the first two episodes of this new limited series from Marvel Studios. I know, I know, you're on the edge of your seat. That'll be in the second half of today's show. But before we get started here, I wanted to note that New York Comic Con is already getting underway tonight down at the Javits Center. I hate that convention center, by the way. Getting into it, it, it's a nightmare. There is never any parking in the immediate area, so I always have to hike to the venue. And yes, I know, you can say the exact same thing about the San Diego Convention Center, but the difference is when you're out in Southern California, at least you have decent weather. You're not being blasted by this Arctic wind that comes barreling off of the Hudson. Speaking of the Hudson, and, and forgive me for being blunt here, but when you're down in the bowels of the Javits Center and in some of those smaller function rooms that they use for panels, there are still parts of that building that smell from the time it was flooded back in 2012 during Hurricane Sandy. Wow, what a buildup, Jim. You sound like a real fan of New York Comic Con. Hey, look. Your mileage may vary. Given that New York Comic Con is largely sold out this year, I mean, last time I looked, they only had a handful of tickets left, and those were only available for today, Thursday, October 12th. I, clearly, my opinion is in the minority here. And, and at the very least, the fact that if you go to this year's New York Comic Con, you can get a group photo with Michael Rooker, Sean Gunn, Pom Kempetti, Karen Gillian, and Chakuti Awugi. That's Yondo, Craglin, Mantis, Nebula, and the High Evolutionary from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I, you know, that's worth the price of admission alone. Not to mention that Chris Evans, the MCU's original Captain America, will be appearing on the Empire stage on Saturday, October 14th, starting at 12.30. But again, this event is largely sold out in advance, uh, runs through Sunday, October 15th, so here's hoping that everyone who attended or attends has a great time, and I would imagine there'll be some Marvel-related news coming out of this event. And speaking of news... The news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Turing Plan's very own travel agency. And if you're looking to head down to Walt Disney World anytime soon, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help. Uh, they'll even toss in a free subscription to Turing Plan's with every vacation package you book for free. So 
Before you book your very next trip to Florida, please check them out at touringplants.com backslash travel. Okay, we were just talking about New York City. Back in early March of this year, Daredevil Born Again began shooting down in New York City. Uh, the original plan with this new limited series from Marvel Studio was to shoot 18 episodes back-to-back over eight months and then to wrap production in November. But then production of Daredevil Born Again was paused in mid-June due to the writer's strike. Now, fewer than half of those 18 episodes had been shot when production of Daredevil Born Again was paused in mid-June, but Kevin Feige reportedly took this opportunity to take a look at everything that was in the can, and then, well, the head of Marvel Studios supposedly found what he saw wanting, which is why just last month, Feige allegedly, quietly, let the head writers of Daredevil Born Again, Chris Ord and Matt Corman, go. Kevin then supposedly released the directors who'd been signed to helm the remaining episodes for this limited series, because according to The Hollywood Reporter, what's now needed on Daredevil Born Again is a creative reboot of the entire series? Ugh. So Feige is now supposedly looking to hire a whole new set of writers and directors for Daredevil Born Again, not to mention eyeballing all of the footage that was previously shot to see what, if anything, can be salvaged or reused for the reimagining of this limited series for Disney+. FYI, the MCU originally reportedly budgeted $150 million for the production of all 18 episodes of Daredevil Born Again, and you gotta wonder how much additional money Marvel Studios is now going to need to complete the revised version of this limited series. And where's the money to fund these reshoots gonna come from? The Marvels! opens in theaters, well, uh, begins its Thursday night previews, four weeks from today, on November 10th. Uh, not only that, but in spite of the tensions that currently exist between the U.S. government and the Chinese leadership, the Walt Disney Company was able to arrange a day-and-date release from the Marvels in China. That's a very big deal, folks. This means that that Nia DaCosta movie will now open in China on the very same day that the Marvels opens in North America which will seriously cut down on the opportunity for pirated copies of this Marvel Studios production to flood Asian street markets prior to the Marvel's opening overseas, which should then help boost opening weekend grosses for this MCU film. And given that the original Captain Marvel sold over a billion dollars worth of tickets worldwide when it was first released to theaters back in March of 2014, well, Marvel Studios would love another box office hit of that size, especially given, as I just mentioned, the tens of millions of dollars that they're now going to need to spend to right the ship, so to speak, on, on Daredevil Born Again. But the upside is, according to Fandango, the Marvels is the most anticipated fall movie. Now, mind you, the survey that says that was done back on September 5th of this year, which uh, was before we knew that Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour concert film, will be opening in theaters, well, tomorrow, October 13th. As of six days ago, that Taylor Swift concert film had already crossed the $100 million in advance ticket sales barrier, so who knows where it sits today. But look, what I can tell you is that Marvel and Disney really, really, really need the Marvels to be a big box office head. The summer and spring of 2023 were filled with films that 
underperformed, and some of them pretty seriously, when it came to worldwide ticket sales. Again, we're talking about movies that, according to the Mouse's marketing team, were all surefire, couldn't miss. Films like the live-action version of Little Mermaid, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and the, the Haunted Mansion. Given that Disney's stock price is right now sitting, uh, it, it closed today at $84.35, which is roughly $25 off the price it was trading at earlier this year. Uh, the company desperately needs both the Marvels, which again opens in theaters on November 10th, and then Disney's Wish, the company's next full-length animated feature, uh, which opens in theaters just 12 days after the Marvels on November 22nd, to both become must-see movies. Because otherwise, especially given how the writer's strike, which was resolved uh, a little more than two weeks ago on September 27th, and the actor's strike, which is still dragging on at this point. And in fact, just yesterday, the AMPTP broke off talks because SAG-AFTRA rejected their most recent offer. And at this point, nobody knows for sure uh, what Marvel and Disney will be able to deliver to exhibitors come 2024 and 2025, which... If you're a Marvel Studios and what you're looking to sell both subscription streaming service users as well as the movie going public is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this immense interconnected world where all sorts of stories link up. You honestly don't need another problem right now. I mean, you've already got Bob Iger, the returned CEO of the Walt Disney Company, who's been saying things like, maybe working, making too much Marvel stuff for Disney+, Plus," which is then undercutting the appetite for moviegoers for the new Marvel uh, films when they're released to theaters. And I know we talked about that, uh, this in the show previously, but then there's the ongoing Jonathan Majors situation. Again, we talked on last week's show about how Majors' next court date in regard to his domestic violence charge is two weeks from now, October 25th. But <sighs> yeah, and Majors, or should I say his character Kang the Conqueror, is the key, the thread that runs through this slew of Marvel movies and limited series on for Disney Plus that that's supposed to run now through May of 2026, which which is when Avengers the Kang Dynasty arrives in theaters. And <sighs> so what's going on behind the scenes at Marvel Studio in regard to the Jonathan Majors situation? According to what Kevin Wright recently said, he's the executive in charge of production development at Marvel Studios, not to mention being the executive producer of season two of Loki. What he said in a recent interview with BuzzFeed is that this is a complicated situation. <laughs> Kevin is a gift for understatement, don't you think? Back to his interview with BuzzFeed, Wright admitted that Marvel management wasn't sure how the fans would react when Majors came back on the canvas for season two of Loki. Just a reminder, this time around, Jonathan isn't playing He Who Remains, the character he played in the season one finale of Loki, nor is uh, Majors reprising his role as Kang the Conqueror from this year's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but this is a brand new character, Victor Timely. Anyway, what Kevin told BuzzFeed was, I hope that viewers will be engrossed in the story that season two of Loki tells, and not just fixate on Jonathan's performance, but rather enjoy all of the performances by all of the members of the cast of this limited series. And when asked 
if, because of the legal challenges that Major now faces, Marvel made any changes to Season 2 of Loki, Wright very emphatically denied this, saying simply that, this is the story we set out to make. It's a good story, and it's really beautifully performed by everyone. So I hope that people will embrace Season 2 of Loki and enjoy it. Uh, in a follow-up question, when Wright was pressed by BuzzFeed if Marvel had reduced Jonathan's on-screen appearances in Season 2 of Loki in any way, Kevin went on to say, it felt hasty to do anything without first knowing how this all plays out. So there you have it. Marvel Studios is standing by Jonathan Majors, for now, anyway. And honestly hoping that this, this actor, come October 25th of, of this year, things somehow resolve themselves favorably for this actor. Because, as I mentioned at the top of this segment, so much of Phase 5 and Phase 6 of the MCU now depends on this one actor being able to portray so many different characters in upcoming movies to be released theatrically and limited series for subscription streaming. And speaking of limited series for streaming, two coming up in 2024 that Disney Plus subscribers are really looking forward to, Ironheart, which continues the story of Riri Williams, the character played by Dominique Thorne that was first introduced in 2022's Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and Agatha Darkhold Diaries, which continues the sinister saga of Agatha Harkness, the witchy character that Katherine Hahn played in Disney Plus's WandaVision back in January of 2021. Where this gets interesting is that Sasha Baron Cohen supposedly plays the very same character in both of these limited series. But all it would reportedly say on the daily call sheet for Ironheart and Agatha Darkhold Diaries on those days when Sasha supposedly had to be on set was, <laughs> well, Mr. Cohen was playing someone called Mystery Man. However, late last month, Marvel pre-registered the first episode for Ironheart with the U.S. Copyright Office. And in the paperwork that was filed for this pre-registration, it was reportedly revealed who Sasha Baron Cohen is playing in multiple MCO projects. And that's Mephisto. What, uh, you know, kind of a cool thing to learn just before Halloween. And speaking of cool Halloween-related things, following up on a story that we shared on last week's Marvelous Disney, Anna Fenty wrote in to say, Hey Jim, I was at Werewolf by Night live with the Minnesota Orchestra. It was spectacular. 10 out of 10. It made it so much more dramatic and larger than life. Plus, seeing Werewolf by Night on the big screen was so fun. Such a better vibe than sitting in a sticky movie there. FYI, the second one of these Marvel Werewolf by Night events, uh, where the TV special is then screened while a live orchestra plays, is being held at the Kennedy Center on October 21st with Michael Giacchino, the, the actual director of Marvel Werewolf by Night, not to mention the guy who wrote the score for this TV special, conducting. I sadly will have to miss out on seeing that in person. Hopefully they'll do more of those uh, Werewolf by Night screenings with a live orchestra next year. I, I'd really love to see that in person. And speaking of more, there will be more Marvelous Disney in a moment. But first, this. And we're back. Okay, so we talked at the top of the show 
about the whole Daredevil born again situation. How Kevin Feige uh, reportedly let the head writers of that limited series go and is now allegedly looking for new writers to take that show in an entirely different direction, which, as you might expect, this news rocked the Marvel fan community. So who then stepped up to try and calm the waters? Vincent D'Onofrio, the actor who plays Kingpin in the MCU, uh, and the guy who's been working on Daredevil Born Again for months now. He hops on social media to try to tame the furor that that broke out yesterday with MCU fans. And what Vincent said is, look, we're going to try to bring forward the best series we can, one we can be proud of. So have some faith and trust, my friends. And speaking of proud, you have to assume that the folks at Disney Plus were happy when the viewing numbers came in for episode one of season two of Loki. From what I've been told, the season two debut of this limited series got the best numbers that this subscription streaming service has seen since Mandalorian season three debuted on Disney Plus back in March of this year. We're talking 10.9 million views globally over the first three days that episode three of season two of Loki was available for streaming. All right, uh, we've now reached the part of the show where we're going to talk about episode one and two of season two of Loki. So, And there will be spoiler, folks. So you have been warned. First of all, I have to say it just feels bizarre to me that the last episode of season one of Loki aired on Disney Plus back on July 14th, 2021, 27 months ago. I mean, it seems like five minutes ago. I don't know, maybe Miss Minutes worked her magic and time collapsed in on itself. But Ouroboros, that's the title of episode one. Picked up right where for all times always, and that's the season one finale of Loki, left off. Loki's back at the TVA, but his new friend and co-worker, Mobius, now doesn't recognize him. Uh, Worse than that, Loki begins to time slip in front of Mobius. And I have to say, I love Owen Wilson's acting in these scenes. He's trying to be supportive of what his friend is going through, but at the same time, Mobius is clearly nauseated or horrified by what he's seeing. And all right, anyway, so Mobius takes Loki down to see Obi, K. Hune Kwan's Ouroboros character. And I got to tell you, I love how positive and chatty this character is. But at the same time, these scenes also give you a sense of how truly scary and screwed up a workplace the TVA must be. I mean, the the last time Mobius and OB interacted was 400 years ago. And this was only because Mobius accidentally stumbled into OB's workspace by accident. Anyway... OB confirms to Mobius that Loki is time-slipping, which, by the way, is impossible inside of the TVA. And what's fun about this sequence is that Loki keeps jumping from the present to the past, but he's in the same space with Obi, And so he's sharing bits of information with Obi that when we get back to the present, wonderful performance by Quan, because you get to see the bits of information that he learned in the past now bubbling up through his subconscious into his memories in real time. I mean, it's a crazy good performance. Um, Anyway, Obi now has to build a device to repair the temporal loom. And, And what's interesting is he has to stay in the control room while Mobius has to take this piece of equipment outside wearing an outfit that sort of looks like a deep sea diving suit attached to this giant hose. 
And by the way, he has to complete this mission in time and get back inside the TVA before the blast doors close. Otherwise, the chronological waves that are coming off of the sacred timeline will rip the skin right off of his body. And again, another wonderful performance by Owen Wilson when he learns this information. Meanwhile, Loki must then prune himself from the timeline at the exact same moment or risk being lost in time forever. And what I, I so enjoyed about this part of episode one of season two was in the middle of all this that there are power surges going on at the TVA and all the elevators stop working in the building. And so who does Loki encounter trying to force her way out of one of these elevators? But Sylvie, who upon seeing Loki happily says, there you are. So here's the thing. Sylvie at some point in the future returns to the TVA, a place that she once threatened to burn to the ground. Why? That's what Loki wants to find out, which brings us to episode two of season two, Breaking Brad. Okay, so Mobius and Loki need to track down B5, an expert hunter at the TVA. He was the one who Doc sent off to look for Sylvie, but he never returned. Given that in the earlier episode, we saw a number of TVA employees who seemed to be going rogue after they raided the armory and diving through time doors. So it's like, having seen that, Loki and Mobius, along with, with you know, B-15, have some concerns. So they eventually track down B-5, who's, who's settled down in a pretty sweet life in a timeline where he gets to live as a pampered movie star. In fact, Loki and Mobius catch up with B-5 in London on the night of, of his big film's premiere, and, and they haul him back to the TVA to see if B-5 can then reveal where Sylvie is and what's the deal with all those hunters who cleaned out the armory and then dove through that time door. Well, it, it takes a, a, a tad amount of torture, not to mention two slices of key lime pie, but B5 eventually reveals that Sylvie is now living a quiet life as a McDonald's employee, and Loki goes to talk with her, and look, can I say what I really enjoy about Loki is it's this clever mix of a bland workplace comedy and a crazy ambitious sci-fi adventure film where the stakes keep teeter-tottering back and forth between billions of people potentially losing their lives as various timelines get pruned, and, and then how hard it is to sometimes follow the instructions in technical manuals. Anyway, as this week's episode draws to a close, Obi is concerned because the blast doors leading to the temporal loom now can't be open. There's a computer malfunction. And so the sacred timeline is now in danger of melting down. And who's the only one who can potentially save them? Miss Minutes, that AI who's now gone rogue for some reason. And more to the point was previously shown to be in league with He Who Remains. Again, Jonathan Major's character. So, look, there are four episodes left in season two uh, before the finale airs on November 9th. And uh, Kihu Kwan, OB character, is a, it's just a great addition to an already strong cast. And, and again, it, just like last season, it's so much fun to watch Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson play work buddies together. Uh, likewise, Sofia DiMartino's <laughs> very first scene of, of size in season two of Loki uh, is when she walks into a McDonald's in the 1980s and goes up to the counter and says, look... 
I don't want to eat anything that still has a face on it. And I, I have to tell you, folks, the very next time into, I go into McDonald's, that's how I'm going to start my order as well. Look, if you're not already watching Loki, you're missing out on a really well-written, handsome show that's both funny and exciting. And I, I, me personally, I just can't wait to see where this story goes next. Just a reminder, though, new episodes of Loki drop every Thursday night at 9 p.m. East Coast time, 6 p.m. West Coast time. And there are just four more to go in season two. Okay, so tonight, while I was waiting for episode two of season two of Loki to start, I killed time by reading the copy of Joanna Robinson's Dave Golez and Gavin Edwards' new book, which is MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Amazon dropped off my copy of this 512-page hardcover that Live Right Press made late yesterday afternoon. and been paging through it for the past few hours, and I have to say, I am learning a lot about the company that I never, ever knew. Like, take, for example, how the plan for Marvel to have its very own movie studio was hatched back in 2003 over lunch at Mar-a-Lago. Yes, that Mar-a-Lago. And Donald Trump himself makes a cameo appearance in this part of the book. It starts with the now former president of the United States making his way through the Mar-a-Lago dining room, glad-handing and schmoozing when he comes upon an odd couple, Ike Perlmutter and David Maisel. Now, Trump knew Perlmutter well as a friend and a fellow member of the unofficial New York Plurocrats Club. And Perlmutter had, it would eventually become a major donor to Trump's presidential run. Uh, by the way, membership at Mar-a-Lago was the only known luxury for the frugal Perlmutter. Now, Trump wasn't familiar with Perlmutter's lunch companion. Tall and lanky, David Maisel seemed much younger than his 40 years, and his mind was always spinning with business plans and financial schemes, and sometimes Maisel would come up with ideas faster than he could get words out of his mouth. He spoke quickly and enthusiastically and, and with an occasional stammer, and now in Donald Trump's dining room, he was eagerly trying to talk his way into a dream job. And Perlmutter, on the other hand, had taken Maisel to Mar-a-Lago for a meal that would help chip away at that club's annual $2,000 dining minimum. And before the appetizers arrived, Maisel launched into his pitch. What if Perlmutter and Marvel could keep the money from blockbuster superhero movies instead of most of that money going back to studios like Fox for X-Men or Sony for Spider-Man? What if Marvel Studios were a real studios, not just a glorified production company? And what if David could make that happen without Perlmutter having to contribute his own money? And now that's what's great about MCU, the, the reign of Marvel Studios. It takes you behind the scenes on this nearly two two-year-long struggle to get what David was pitching to Ike to actually happen. Uh, that occurred in uh, November of 2005 when Maisel, with, with Perlmutter's blessing, convinced Merrill Lynch to put up the money necessary to launch Marvel Studios. And they then, in turn, convinced Paramount Pictures to distribute these movies, six in total to start. And today, there are what, 40 some uh, theatrical releases and limited series and MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios, takes you behind the scenes on all of them. Yeah, not how, how all of these came together. It, it's a great, great read, folks. Definitely check it out. And speaking of behind the scenes, 
32nd Street, Aaron Adams' Patreon project, uh, well, that takes you behind the scenes on Madison Avenue, and that show is always worth checking out. And speaking of shows worth checking out, well, we have a couple of other podcasts here. Uh, we have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. Uh, that's animation news. And by the way, Mr. Taylor uh, has a wonderful uh, podcast of his own, uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, which he does with Charles Hood. Now you should check that out. Uh, we also have uh, Looking at Lucasfilm that I do with Brian Gaughan. I also want to remind you that Len and Mai's new project, Disney Impact, our first ever video series that we're producing in collaboration with Jim Shul, veteran Imagineer who spent 30 years at the Walt Disney Company, creating some of your favorite attractions for the park. Uh, rides like Rock and Roller Coaster and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. Uh, anyway, uh, that show has finally officially launched. If you want to get a taste, head on over to our YouTube channel, and if you like what you see encourage you to head on over to patreon and sign up and while we're you know encouraging you to do things here if you could please head over to apple podcasts and rate and recommend well not just the show you're listening to tonight marvelous disney but if you could also put in a kind word for 32nd street that would be great as well Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here, if you want to uh, go over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. Let's see, what else? Uh, oh, social media. If you're looking for Aaron on social media, he is A-Z-A and then B-R-O-D. Uh, you can find me on X and Twitter, uh, as well as Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. I look forward to seeing you in that space, and... I guess that's it for this week. So thank you for listening to Marvelous Disney. And hopefully Mr. Adams and I will be back together next week. Till then, take care. <laughs>